You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. And as long as you're still producing the work and collaborating like you need to and, and hitting those key results, we can offer that flexibility. So that's what it really means for us. And then let's bring people together when it's meaningful. And that way people hopefully will want to come back into the office those days because there's a reason behind it. My guest on the podcast today is Karen Weeks. 20 years ago, Karen made a career change from theatre to HR and never looked back. She found her purpose in helping organisations build amazing cultures while guiding individuals to find fulfilment in their careers. Currently, Karen is the Senior Vice President of People at Order Groove and was named one of the 2020 Notable Women in Talent by Crane's New York Business. Karen is a certified career coach, speaker, advisor to startup companies, Girls in Tech NYC board member and published author of Setting the Stage, a guide to preparing for any feedback conversation and host of the podcast Getting Off the Hamster Wheel. She lives in NYC with her husband and furry babies. Karen and I start the conversation with the question around how HR can help create better work environments and happier workers. And we cover a range of topics like flexibility, progression, trust. We also talk about culture and psychological safety and values in organisations. So really, really interesting to understand the perspective from the HR side of things. And I really hope you enjoy today's conversation. Don't forget to stick around and listen to the wrap up, the key points that were made during the conversation at the end. And hopefully I will see you over on LinkedIn getting involved in the conversation. Welcome, Karen, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to have you as my guest today because I know we connected on a Zoom call many, many months ago at this stage and we just had a wonderful conversation. So I'm really delighted to build on that and to continue having that conversation just like, you know, having a, having a chat over a cup of coffee or something like that. Would you like to give uh, uh, listeners a bit of an idea of what it is that you do and, and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. That conversation many months ago, embarrassingly, it was so easy. And I love connecting with folks that have similar approaches and philosophies and goals in the work that they do. So, so excited to be here today. I'm Karen. I have been in HR for almost 20 years now. I actually started in theater as a stage manager and then worked out in LA in the Hollywood scene for a while. Realized that was not for me and I was not happy at work. Even though I loved the field, actually having it be my livelihood was not the right match for me. So after doing some soul searching and everything you're supposed to do, I made the switch to HR and through my whole career, even as I've had different kinds of roles, my focus has always been on how do we help people feel like they are set up for success and doing the best work they can do because that's what's motivating and makes them happy. And hopefully that's with the company I'm working for and we're doing a great job having that partnership. But quite honestly, I'd rather have the conversation up front if that's not the case anymore. And let's talk about what's important to you and why you're not getting that here. And so that theme has always been through my work. And so um, as I've gone company to company, I'm now the head of HR for a tech startup here in New York City, uh, which I love. And we do so much great work around employee experience in my humble opinion. Um, and especially through the last year with the pandemic, we really had to think about what, what was important to folks at work 
work. And then I've also spun that to a side coaching business where I really wanted to expand the impact that I was having to help people in their careers outside of the the team I work with every single day. Brilliant. I mean, there's so much to kind of to start with there. And <laughs> maybe we'll we'll kind of circle back to this employee experience and especially in the last year or a year and a bit. Um but uh, but you mentioned something kind of critical there is understanding what's actually important to people yeah. and having those conversations up front. So maybe we start there. Like, how do you have those conversations? Yeah, I actually think it's part of onboarding. Um, so, you know, as you set those 90 day goals or 36, 30, 60, 90, however you do onboarding, part of that should be at least at this moment, right? Like it could evolve for folks over time, but you know, how do you like to be motivated? How do you like to be recognized? How do you like to get feedback? What's important to you in your role? You know, during the interview process, we talked about this and that seemed to be really important to you. Now that you're here, like what are some of your goals? How can I be helping you as a manager? How can I be helping you as an HR partner? So I think it's really important to set that tone up front because then you've built that trust and relationship and that this is how we work together as a team at this company. And then as that evolves over time, Time, you have that baseline and that foundation. So hopefully people feel more comfortable to say, you know, something now at this phase of my life, flexibility is more important to me or mm. getting to that next step in my career is really important to me. And that's what's going to make me more fulfilled and happier if I you know, can stay here. Yeah, I love that. And it ties in really nicely with the research that I did for my master's, which I think I shared with you previously yes. as well. Yes. Um, and interestingly, like when you're talking about onboarding and you're saying 30, 60, 90, that's kind of typical. And it may like I have worked in some organizations where maybe it extends to about nine months or a year, mm -hmm. or at least it takes about nine months to a year to really get up to speed with what the organization is all about, because there's a lot of complexity and relationship building and all of that kind of stuff. But interestingly, in as part of the research in my master's and this wasn't something I specifically sought out to mm -hmm. analyze but it came through in the data and it and then you know looking at past papers and past articles as well it was something it was some something of a theme there as well is that the onboard it's not maybe you wouldn't call it the onboarding but it's really really important to get those first few years right it's not yeah. just about the first 90 days um because after getting those first few years right, in my view, it's it's then you're kind of building loyalty and commitment, but it's the mm -hmm. first few years where people are kind of fluctuating and really deciding, is this the right place for me? Um, so that's, that's really interesting and yeah. really understanding about, I just made a few notes there about being motivated or what motivates you. How do you like to be recognized? How do you like to receive feedback? What are your goals? And how can I, as a manager or a HR partner, support you. And you mentioned this word trust as well. And the underlying theme, and this has come up a lot on, on the podcast recently, is this idea of psychological safety and feeling mm -hmm. safe to actually share that. Yes. And maybe we talk about like, because, I, I, you know, I suppose I've spoken with with suppliers, with with practitioners, but not necessarily with HR people who are implementing it on the ground. So mm -hmm. what's your view on how to create that safe environment? Yeah, it's a great question. Actually, about six months ago now, so it was sometime over the winter, um, we actually did. So we do manager roundtables. It's our version of manager training at OrderGroove. And we did a whole roundtable about creating that safety. And so it was, you know, the pandemic was still going on here in the States. There was a lot of concern around racial injustice and those conversations. We were going through a really tough election cycle, no matter 
what you felt about anybody. It was tough and exhausting. Um, and we were still isolated and we had another spike in the, in the coronavirus. And like all of these things were just creating a lot of tough situations for folks. And so we were talking to our managers about you have to create the space for people to talk about that if they want to. Like don't force it. You don't have to be their therapist, like nothing extreme like that. But just as a human, how are you? Are you doing yeah. okay? How is that compared to last week? How is that compared to yesterday? Like forget about last week. How is that compared to yesterday? you know, again, what do you need from me? What can the organization be doing to support you during this? Um, And it could have been, you know, mental health and burnout issues. It could have been, oh, someone I know just got sick. It could have been, I'm still at home with these kids and I'm so exhausted. Like, you know, whatever the things are, or it could have been, I'm actually pretty good right now. Like, you know, I'm I'm stable, I'm good and and great. That's good too. But just creating that space for those conversations. And the thing I wanted to prepare the managers for was you then have to be ready for what they say to you. And so I'm not asking you to have the answers, but you know, know how to lead with empathy, active listening. Oh, I can, can, you know, while I'm not in your shoes, I can understand that. I went through something similar or let me share my vulnerable moment. This is how I've tried to manage my time better. You know, just having, be ready to respond to whatever they say um, was the thing I was actually most concerned about because that's the opposite of creating psychological safety. You ask the question and then you don't handle it well and everything goes out the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so true. Yeah, it's and I like this idea of just creating that space for someone to have that conversation and demonstrating empathy, which I think is really, really important. And and maybe this is a little bit of a loaded question, but what are your thoughts on on managers who don't do that or who are not really comfortable with that? Like, is that a case of that person shouldn't be a manager if they don't really care about people or any thoughts on, on what what that looks like? Or have you encountered anything similar? Yeah, it's a great question because I think that there's a difference between do they not care and do they literally not know how to do it because they themselves haven't, like, it just isn't in their DNA to know how to have these conversations. Like, forget about work, you know, their partner might say the same things about them. So some people are just better communicators, better listeners, better whatever. Um, And, you know, I absolutely have worked with some managers who really struggle with this. And either it's because they are a little more conservative in their management style. And, you know, for years we've told them not to ask those questions. I mean, I did manager training, you know, not even 10 years ago. And it was, if it gets personal, stop it. Like this should be work specific. Um, So to be fair, like some of these managers have just been trained that way for so long. And then other folks, like I said, just in personal lives, they probably aren't great at some of these conversations. So, So how can we either help them build those tools and like really coach them and really take the time to get them there. Or if they can't, or if they're not willing, then yes, I do think it's a fair question. Do you want to be a manager? Should you be a manager? This is what we expect of our managers. And either I need you to try and like meet me in the middle and do it in your own way. But if not, I mean, then like any other skill, this is one of the skills we need out of our managers. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I think it's an interesting point. And, and I suppose the question was deliberately loaded. What I really <laughs> liked what you had to say is there is a difference between people who know and just don't really care versus yeah. people who don't know any better because they just haven't been taught in that way. And yeah. I'm probably one of those who when I was training to be a manager, they, um, I certainly didn't learn anything about empathy and yeah. and that kind of thing. I'm sure we spoke about listening, but more in the context of the different communication styles as opposed mm-hmm. to really like that active listening where you're just l- there to listen and not to not to respond. So um, yeah. really, really interesting points there. Um, 
maybe we have a talk about what you spoke about at the start, this idea of the employee experience and, yeah. you know, <laughs> feel free to brag about yeah. the wonderful things that you've implemented. Um, for me, it's, it's all, you know, everybody kind of calls it something different. Um, some people say it's more like their culture or how they live their values or the promise they make to their employees. It used to be employee value, uh, play promise for a while. Like it's been called different things, but really what is the environment you're creating for your team and what are, how do you make decisions? How do you communicate? How do you um, make sure people are informed? You know, do you care if they're friendly quote unquote outside of the office, you know, are social events and that kind of stuff important? Um, do you want to have people be really passionate about what they do at work in the sense of like what the company does, or are you okay if they're just kind of clocking in and out? So, so I think those are all the things. And for us at Order Groove, it's so much around flexibility and focusing on the individual. Because if you're able to be the best version of you and you're able to feel supported in the way that motivates you, that's going to make you a much stronger collaborator. It's going to help you get to a solution faster because you're not going to care if it's about like your answer versus someone else's answer. You're just working together to get to the right answer um, because you've built those relationships. Um, I really, I read this book many years ago, but I really like the book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Um, And the the bottom of that pyramid is all about, you know, like trust and respect. And so we build that through trusting and respecting you as an individual and then hoping you bring that to the table and lead with best assumptions or best intentions and good assumptions um, because then everything else flows from there. And so that's how we've thought about like everything that's happened over the last 15, 16 months. Um, That's how we think about, um, our values and, and hopefully that creates, you know, a great experience for folks and helps us build our brand with candidates and why people stay with us for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really like that approach and this idea of flexibility. Well, aside from the fact that it's really, really important and, and I read something or at least I didn't go into read it just yet, but I did see a headline on LinkedIn, you know, one of those, maybe a clickbait, um, but it said something about the likes of the investment banks and Goldman Sachs, I think was particularly mentioned saying that they are Say, you know, essentially they're saying if you're well enough to go to a restaurant, then you're well enough to come into the office and almost demanding people come into the office, which I think is kind of going against the grain of what a lot of organizations are offering to their staff now. And I think that the organizations that don't offer a a level of flexibility, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about what that actually means in a second. but the organizations that are not offering some degree of flexibility to their staff are really going to be left behind because workers are going to just seek, seek stuff out elsewhere that, you know, where they can have that level of flexibility if, if most organizations are offering that. Yeah. I mean, Amazon ran into the same thing. They said they were going to call everybody back and their employees kind of, I don't know what the right phrase is, but I was like, no, that's actually not the case. We're going to go work for someone else. And they pulled it back because they realized they were going to have a major retention issue if that was the case. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant. No, I love that. I love when things like that happen. Um, (laughs) So can we talk a little bit about flexibility then? And and what, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think for me, it's, it's all about, this is a great example going back to like Morgan Stanley or whoever it was that kind of just got in trouble most recently was 
what's the purpose? Like, why? Why do you need people in the in that office? I get it. If you're making machinery or widgets or like you're doing something where you literally have to be there, of course, uh, you know, nurses, healthcare, of course you have to be physically there. Um, but, you know, in a tech company, we all have laptops. There is no literal reason why we need to be back in that office, except for the sense of community and some of those pieces that is extremely difficult to do um, virtually. So what we decided to do is we didn't want to go totally remote. We knew that getting rid of an office was too extreme for us. Um, so we're going with a flexible work from anywhere policy. So we're hiring. So we used to be very New York centric. Um, and now we are hiring anywhere in the States uh, and including in Latin America for some of our, uh, for some of our roles. And even those who are in New York, if you don't want to go back to the office at all, any day, every day, like whatever you want to do. Hmm. When we do bring people together, it will be purposeful. So whether that is for planning sessions, whether that's for quarterly kickoffs and an annual meeting to talk about, you know, our strategy for that year. And while people are together, let's build in some programming and events that builds that community. So we can't just then also have people come into the office just to go into meetings because then you're behind closed doors and we've learned we can do that over Zoom. So, you know, we want to offer that flexibility so that people can decide what's right for them from a, where do they live? What are their work hours? Again, within reason, right? Like you can't miss key meetings. So if your, you know, team updates at three o'clock on Fridays or your um, stand up is at 10 a.m., like you have to make those meetings, but otherwise build your day and block your day based on what works for you as a, a person and other things going on in your life, where you get your energy, you know, some of those things. And as long as you're still producing the work and collaborating like you need to and, and hitting those key results, we can offer that flexibility. So that's what it really means for us. And then let's bring people together when it's meaningful. And that way people hopefully will want to come back into the office those days because there's a reason behind it. Yeah, yeah. And have you encountered any challenges around the practicalities of that yet? Or or has that happened as in are people starting in New York to, to go back into the office as such? Yeah. So we actually have over the, especially since vaccinations have started to go really well, at least here in the city, um, we have definitely had folks kind of wander in here and there. Um, you know, maybe they do a day or they and their you know teammates show up. Um, and as long as they're vaccinated, that's totally fair because we didn't take any of the other precautions. Um, so either we can only have so many people there that have to wear masks because mm. we didn't, you know, change the vents or whatever, um, or you have to be vaccinated and then it's totally fine. Um, so we're starting to see some people trickle in for sure. I think the thing that I'm thinking the most about is when we start to have enough pockets of people who are in the office in a given day and they are in meetings or communicating with people who are not, how do we keep that? How do we not go back to that inequality of like one person's on Zoom and four people are in a conference room? Because that totally yeah. changes the dynamic of that conversation. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And any thoughts on how you might address that? So I've heard a lot of my HR friends talk about if it's uh, if there are people on a Zoom call that you actually still take the call from your desk or a private phone booth or like something like that, um, uh, so that it's not you know some people together and some people not. Um, so that's one idea people came up with. They also have said for folks that you know have the flexibility to come into the office, have it be on days that you're going to do meetings or whatever that are collaborative. So you actually do want people to be in person. You want to 
whiteboard. You're going to have a you know happy hour afterwards or whatever. Um, so again, there's a reason for people to be in person and it's more about, um, or actually make it your no meeting day so that you can hang out with the people that are there versus being in the conference rooms and meetings all day. Yeah, yeah, this is it. And, and I have heard exactly those same ideas is if there's some people dialing in externally yeah. that who are not in the office, then it makes most sense for everyone to do the same. Um, you know, maybe the IT guys will have something <laughs> different yeah. to say about that, <laughs> you know, with the bandwidth and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, having been in that situation myself, it is it is difficult if you're dialing into a meeting where yeah. people are actually in the room and they're able to kind of, there's kind of the, the, the non-verbal cues that are going on, yes. I think, if people are in physically in a room together. Um, and I have also heard previously of just bringing people together for the social aspect. And exactly yeah, as yeah. you said, Karen, building that sense of community. I think that's really, really important. Um, you brought up the word trust a few times and, you were, you know, you mentioned Peter Lancioni's book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team as well. So this idea of trust and respect being at kind of the foundation. What, what do you do actively to build that sense of trust, would you say, in the organisation? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think one thing that we try to do just as a baseline thing is we actually do a disk profile with everybody and then we publish everyone's profiles. Um, and the goal with that is A, to have a common language, right? So like, it's always helpful to have some sort of, uh, just like your values, it's a common language people use, but hopefully it also helps people get to know each other and how they like to work. So it's very easy if you are, really extroverted and you're working with someone who's really introverted and the extrovert's like, I just, they just don't want to talk to me. And they start, you know, they just can't communicate or they don't, you know, and they start going down this path of very bad assumptions. But if I know that you are more introverted or I know that you are more data-driven, then when I come to you in these meetings or when I'm partnering with you on something, I'll have that in the back of your, my mind and I'll try to meet you somewhere in the middle. And same with me, right? Like I'm really extroverted. So you need to give me some space to babble on because that's the way I'm going to actually get to the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> so I may drive you crazy if you're an introvert, but you got to give me that space or we'll never get to the right place. So so just knowing each other. And honestly, that goes back to um, you know the social aspect is that it's not about the happy hour. It's not about the ping pong. It's about bringing people together and they have the space to talk about things that aren't work-related and they get yeah. to hang out with people that they don't normally talk to during the day. So we've tried so many different small group things uh, over the last virtual months um, because obviously 90 people on a Zoom, there's no like real communication there. It's all monologue. Um, so we've tried like cooking classes and workouts and book clubs and uh, trivia nights and and all these little like in little uh, donut virtual coffee meetups with just four people. And so that gives people the space just to chit chat about something that they already have something in common with, but it may not be people they normally talk to. And you really see different personalities come out um, in those moments and you get to know someone so much better that way. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, I think it's a really nice approach. And just as you were talking there, I was like, oh, I do kind of miss that social, you know, being, yeah. being my own boss, I don't have that at the moment. And I do miss that social interaction of being in a team. And like you're saying, talking to someone who you wouldn't normally talk to about something that's not work related, I think it's a really nice way to bring people together and to bond. Yeah. If you'd like to know more about what I can do for your business, please head over to my website, happieratwork.ie, where I have more details on the services that I offer. 
I offer various different types of things for organizations like yours. I offer speaking, coaching, consulting, with a huge focus on data and analytics and how to use data to make better people decisions. I have a couple of ongoing public projects at the moment in relation to researching employee well-being, first-time managers, and I will be making those results publicly available as well. So if you would like to get access to that, head on over to my website. Back to this idea of flexibility then. So you did mention about the work anywhere. Does that kind of extend to, you kind of touched on it, but we didn't explicitly speak about it. And I'm thinking more from the hours perspective Mm -hmm. and what that means in terms of the, the actual hours, because just, you know, and I might go on a bit of a rant here, but just this whole and I do it myself sometimes as well, this idea that it, it's a nine to five. If you're working in an office, it's yeah. nine to five or, you know, you could be eight to six because you're working longer hours and mm-hmm. it's OK to bring your work home and all of this kind of stuff. But it's so ingrained in us. And I'm sure I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I do recall a friend of mine saying that she was going to knock off maybe a couple of hours early on a Friday because she had worked two additional hours on a Wednesday. And I think mm-hmm. it's it's that mentality. We we still have that idea that, oh, well, I worked an extra hour here so I can take an hour here. And that it really defeats the point of what it is that we're trying to do at work. It's not about the hours that we put in. It's about the outcomes that we achieve. Mm. So I'd love to get your views on the, the time element of the flexibility. Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that's come up also a little bit because as we now have people across the states, um, you know, and do I have to work East Coast hours? I just put those in air quotes. Um, If I'm in California, because does that mean I'm expected to be online at like 6 a.m. California time? It's technically flexibility, but that may not really be, you know, good for me. So I think for us, what we try to do is think more about what are, it's less about hours and this is where you're trying to get to 40 hours. Now, maybe that's because we all, I don't know if all, 98% of our workforce is salaried. So we're not tracking hours, period. Um, but I think there is this mentality of, I actually worry it makes people work too much because so we've got a couple people that do have kids and so they have to block a certain hours off of their calendar either because they're remote learning with them or they've come home and they don't have the same support that they used to yeah. um, or even if they do kids don't understand why they can't just walk in and talk to you like because you're here so of course I can talk to you you're home so any whatever the five roommates whatever the the home situation is um, and so you know some people can get their stuff done because it actually makes them more productive. Or maybe they started their day earlier because they knew they were going to have to log off a little early. Um, But it doesn't mean you have to make up that time. Either make yourself more productive and get your, you know, what done within the time you do have, or just be willing to jump back in and make sure you didn't miss anything or you can catch up on anything. But it's less about, oh, I was off for two hours, so there I have to make up those two hours. It's how do I make sure I get my work done because I don't have those two hours. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think that's a really nice approach. And it's it does put that focus back on the what what is it that I really need to get done? And any of the studies that I've read, certainly they talk about if you have less time, 
to do something, you're going to be, you're going to use that time more wisely yes. to do it. And uh, I can't remember, recall off the top of my head, the name of it, but there is something that says, and I'm, I'm this person as well. Like if you give me a three week deadline, then, you know, I'm going to use that three weeks or I'm going to, yes. I'm going to leave it till the very last minute because I do work better under pressure. Mm-hmm. I'm much better on shorter deadlines than I am on these kind of long extended project type deadlines for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do like that approach. And it's it's really about, for me, it's about getting clear about what the outcomes are expected of yes. the role of the organisation and how they all align and, and the, the role that an individual plays in achieving that, you know, what yes. can they contribute? And I love that you use disc profiling to help people to kind of understand each other better, essentially. It's not like the stick that you're using <laughs> to, to bang them over the head or anything like that, but it's more, oh, this is why this person behaves in the way that they do. It's because of their their disc profile, essentially. Um, I'm the kind of person who I tend to reflect more. So if I'm in a meeting, I won't necessarily have an answer straight away, but I'll go away, give it some thought and come up with something quite meaningful in my mind anyway. Um, we kind of started talking about this general concept of happiness at work, and we've touched on a few different elements around psychological safety and trust and flexibility at work and culture and values. Is there anything else that we haven't really touched on in our conversation? I'm sure there's loads more that we could talk about, <laughs> but I just wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of share something else. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think the the only other thing, and, and it honestly ties into a lot of that is, you know, what does success look like for the folks on your team? And that could be career development. It could be that interpersonal connectivity. It could be, I just like my manager. Or I, I like what the company is doing and that is what's important to me. Um, but I think when I feel successful, however I define that, I'm happier. So, um, you know, knowing, and again, that's going to evolve, especially if you work with folks for many years, you know, earlier in my career, I maybe was way more focused on getting that next job and getting that promotion and learning, learning, learning. Now at this point in my career, it's more about having the opportunity for thought leadership and the space to think about those things. Um, so, you know, everybody has different needs at different times, but yeah, you know, success to me right now is about building an amazing culture, getting ahead of the curve and like being strategic, not just always reactive. And then, you know, development for me is honestly like having the space uh, to do, you know, the coaching on the side, which I'm very thankful that I have the support to do that. So, so I think knowing what's important to each person through all the things we've talked about is what leads to them being happy at your company. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of kind of individual points that I'd love to to pick up on there. And this is, it's the idea that like, I mean, everything that you're saying ties in with the research that I did. So it's this piece of need satisfaction, but Mm. it's not just broad need satisfaction. It's on an individual basis. And so managers need to be able to hold those conversations with, with their employees to understand what their needs are and what they could potentially be. Because I know certainly if someone had asked me, what are your needs? I'd be like, I have no idea what my needs are. (laughs) But let me tell you, you certainly know when your needs are not being met at work and you feel this great sense of frustration, even if you can't exactly put your finger on what's going on or what's going wrong. Um, We touched on the idea of culture and values and and values is kind of another key piece of the pie for me is understanding what your values are and and being really clear about that and communicating it in in a clear way and hiring people whose values align with yours. Mm -hmm. Um, And this idea then of trust and respect. And I always do wonder, 
like because to me they are values trust and respect are values that people yes. hold but are they <laughs> are they apparent in every organization mm. are they necessary in every organization to have that sense of trust and that sense of respect i would argue yes it's kind of almost mm. a a given that you will you will be able to trust your employer and your employer will be able yeah. to trust you and that you will be shown a level of respect and that you will in return show a level of respect yeah. at work because the simple fact of being at work, maybe trust is a little bit harder to achieve, but respect yeah. certainly I think is very much in, in the individual's control. Yeah. Um, Just to build on that real quickly, when we first went remote, Again, it was very uncomfortable for us. And I remember talking to uh, my CEO and he was talking about friends of his that are, you know, leaders at other companies. And they were saying, yeah, I'm really nervous about, you know, will my employees still work? Are they just going to sit and watch Netflix all day? And Greg was saying, even though this is uncomfortable for us, never once did I question or any of us question is our team going to keep working? And like, do we need to have them stamp in and out or like do some check-ins or whatever? Like we never, that never even crossed our mind because we trust and respect our team to do their jobs and be good professional people. Um, so I think to your point, it, it's actually not always there. And those mm. moments are when you see that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I do remember like, you know, if you cast your mind back to the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of press about there. there was, I, I can picture it in my mind. There is this um, article in the BBC in particular saying like the manager basically wanted people to have Zoom on all day so that they could be monitored what they do. And there was like... I, I, certainly I got pitched on my LinkedIn messages for like monitoring uh, software and things like that. Oh, you can monitor your, your staff's keystrokes so you know whether or not they're Gosh. doing work, you know. So oh. there's all this kind of stuff. And I know, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't want to work in an organisation that 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 employs those types of <laughs> uh, systems to, to track people. But um, yeah. yeah, like it's it's extraordinary the kind of things that people will do. Um, so we kind of talked about needs and, and needs being at the individual level. And you will have seen the video that I did for my research being on uh, the needs for autonomy, which en encapsulates this idea of flexibility. So time flexibility, location flexibility, and it's a sense of choice and choosing where you do your work and how you do your work and not being micromanaged, but yeah. equally having a clear sense of direction of where you're going. Relatedness then is this the idea of community that you're saying that you build at work. So bringing people together and putting people together who don't normally maybe talk to each other to build those bonds and yes. feel like you actually connect and relate to other people that you work with. Um, autonomy, relatedness and competence then is the, mm. the last need that needs to be satisfied. And that's, you know, with competence similar to autonomy, you can have too much or too little. So if you have too little, you might feel a, a sense of imposter syndrome. You might feel like you're not good enough and question your abilities and you don't have that sense of self-efficacy. Um, but then having too much, then it's like I could do this with my eyes closed. I'm feeling a little bit bored and you get a bit complacent and you don't feel challenged enough. Mm -hmm. So they're all universal needs, but then people will have unique needs as well. You touched on some of them being um, you know, things like the recognition piece, you know, so how are you 
being recognised at work and what conversations are you having the, the, and how needs change over time. That's the other thing mm-hmm. I think is really, really yes. important to recognise. So at different points in our career, we may have different needs. So you mentioned about being a thought leader. You don't start out with that need for being a thought leader. But as you build up your competence in this specific area, then that might be something that you go after. Um, And equally then, you know, at at the start, it might be you you have different types of needs and much more level of support from your manager, for example, um, at that level. Anything else that you'd like to share about this employee experience that you've created? You mentioned some of the activities that you did. I'd love to to kind of learn more about how they how they fared. Yeah, so we definitely have found better success with those smaller activities and leaning into this flexible. Not only we've always had flexible PTO, meaning you can take vacation, quote unquote, when you need it. Um, we now have flexible work from anywhere. We also change, we used to do like this perk and that perk and this allowance and that allowance. And we actually just all brought it together and said, you have an annual allowance to use for your own personal and professional development. So if you want to use that for wellness initiatives, great. If you want to use some of it for development, awesome. If you want to use it to like really get some fancy tech set up outside of like the basics that we give you, especially if you're working from home, great. Create your NASA style desk and like go crazy. (laughs) So, but again, it's, it's, I, you know, I only had X money to do this, but I don't care about this other allowance. Why can't I use that? You're right. Like if that's important to you, then you should do it. So we brought it all together into one allowance so that people can use it as they need and want to use it. So I think that's what the biggest thing was if flexibility is sort of our thing, which ties to our values of, you know, what you see is what you get, which is about authenticity and, and all the different things that go with their different values then let's make sure that's sprinkled out throughout all the programs that we do. You know, um, it was something we were talking about earlier that made me think about also, you know, oh, the individual piece. I can't literally make everybody happy. Like I'd love to, but I can't. But what I can do is offer different kinds of programs and perks that kind of meet people where they are. So we do some things where like it's Thursday at five, join the Zoom. And there's other things where you can do more offline or there's a Slack channel that you can participate in. So you don't feel like, you know, maybe getting on another Zoom call is the last thing you can do. So fine, we'll do something offline. So I think that's the other thing that we've tried to do more, um, you know, even as we recognize recognize uh, Juneteenth, which as we're recording, this is about to come out, uh, come up, I'm sure when it's out, like it was behind us now, but we're doing different kinds of programs for people during the day, depending on where they are sort of in their journey. So I think that's the final piece that um, really kind of ties to really trying to reach people where they are and not having so cookie cutter. And we're also 90 people. So it's easier to do that. I also recognize that'd be really hard for like a 5,000 person company. Um, the final thing I will, I do want to add into going back to the very beginning conversation that we had about psychological safety and like having those conversations. I also have recently started to talk to HR folks a lot more about, you know, whether coaches use the wheel of life or whatever tool you want to use. Sometimes people are unhappy at work and it's not at work. They're unhappy in something else in their life and either work they think is the thing that's easier to change or it's just, right, we're whole humans. We get impacted by the other crap that's going on in our life. So how as HR people and managers, again, without like diving deeper than is appropriate or people feel comfortable, how can we help sort of help them dig through it and be like, is it really the job or is it because you're in a bad relationship or you hate where you live or, you know, what you're having financial issues, like any of those things, let's make sure it's actually about the job. And because that's what we can help you with. 
That's a very good point, actually, Karen, um, because just the way like, I mean, I always like to think of it. You spend so much time at work and yeah. if you're miserable at work, then you're taking that to your other aspects of your mm-hmm. life, to your home life, to your friendships, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but equally, if you have financial yes. difficulties, if you have relationship struggles, anything like that, or, or, or if something has happened that's not work related, it can impact then on what's going on at work. So it's a really, really um, important point to make. And I love this idea of meeting people where they are, flexibility. So you're offering I suppose what I'm picking up is you're offering flexibility, but you're being flexible yourselves in terms of the types of benefits that you're offering to people. And I always did think like, you know, people like to be treated fairly and they like to be treated equally at work. And you don't want to be like, oh, well, Karen has this and Jane down there. She's got something completely different. Uh, Why can't I have that too? And it's like... (laughs) You can have something that suits you. You don't have to have the same as what Jane has, but you can have something that is suited more to what you're looking for Mm -hmm. in terms of benefits, in terms of what, you know, whether it's that flexibility, whatever it might be. But it's it's. I suppose, handling those conversations as well so that people aren't comparing yeah. and saying, oh, well, she has that and I don't have that. And, yeah. you know, those kind of. <laughs> yes. But hopefully you've created such an environment that people are not, it's, they're not defaulting to comparing themselves to others. They're getting what they want. Their needs are being yeah. satisfied and therefore they are happier at work. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to even just, you know, we do it on social media. You know, I just listened to a great podcast about jealousy and it's like, okay, well, why are you actually jealous? Like feel the emotion, totally fair. Then what, what are you actually jealous about? Oh, well, they went to some fancy place for travel. Do you want to go to literally go to that place? No, I just wish I had more flexibility. I wish I had the time or I wish I had the money. Okay. Let's focus on, oops, let's focus on that piece. It's not about going to Italy. It's whatever is about the trip that you wish you were doing instead. So let's focus on that. Yeah. If you ever listen to Gretchen Rubin, she's uh, based Mm. in New York as well. She talks about that, like when whatever you envy in someone else, that's what you want. But I like this idea of kind of going a step further and going, what is it that you really want? Like, what is it about what that other person is doing? Let's dig a bit deeper. And, you know, how do you kind of address that within yourself? Um, Karen, that kind of brings us nicely on to the question that I ask everyone who comes (laughs) on the podcast, which is what makes you happier at work? And I know you've been expecting this question. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I love the question because again, it's, it's me and it may not be everybody else, but for me, I am truly happy when I know I'm making a difference for someone. And, you know, how did I help you navigate your career? How did I help you feel supported during this really horrible time? How did I help you take, you know, have that conversation with your manager that you were really nervous about and it went well. And then honestly, how can I help you transition out if this isn't the right place for you anymore? And that's okay. Um, and so any of those conversations that I can have with folks and build a, a, an environment where they feel uh, supported uh, and happy, that honestly gives me happiness. That probably sounds really cheesy, but it's true. Yeah. No, no, no. I think that's lovely. Like it's it's the impact that you want to have on the world, essentially. Yeah. No, I love that. And if people would like to connect with you to find out more about you, your coaching, uh, any events that you have coming up, feel free to, to give a shout out to that now. 
Yeah, thank you. So probably the best place to start is karendweeks.com, which is just my website. You can link to all my social sites from that. It has an events page. It has, you know, some thought leadership on a blog. Um, and then otherwise, uh, LinkedIn, just find me, you know, Karen D. Weeks on LinkedIn. And that's especially because I do a lot of, you know, what's going on at Order Groove and things happening there, as well as some of this thought leadership pieces as well. Brilliant. That's great. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for your time today. I really, really enjoyed that conversation. It's so nice to talk to people who are actually implementing this stuff on the ground and, you know, hearing about really, really nice work cultures. So thank you for sharing your time today. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's been great. That was Karen Weeks from Order Groove talking all things creating happier work environments from a HR perspective. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. I would love to know what you think. If you head on over to LinkedIn, you'll see me talking about the episode over there. And I would love to get you involved in the conversation and hear what you think. Some of the key points that we covered during our conversation. So we started by talking about what is important and really getting getting things right from that onboarding process. So understanding what motivates people. Do they like to be recognized or how do they like to be recognized? How do they like to receive feedback? What are their goals and how the organization can actually help them? Trust is something that came up a few times and I did want to call that out. I think it's really, really important to have that and it it makes sense to have it both ways as well. We spoke about flexibility and progression, understanding, well, what is it actually that the workers themselves want? Simply asking the question, what do you need from me? is a little bit of a game changer as well. So really, really nice approach, especially when it comes to things like mental health and burnout, which is forming a greater deal of the conversation in work these days. Previously, we wouldn't necessarily have spoken about those types of things. And it's really great to have those on the agenda these days. And it's about creating space for those conversations, using empathy, active listening. And we spoke as well about the different types of managers. So there's some managers who maybe don't really care. So they were aware of these issues, but they're not really maybe necessarily a people person. But then there's others who are aware, but they're not really sure what to do with the information. So it's about educating people to become better communicators and better listeners, especially if they are managers. We spoke about culture and the values of the organization and the employee promise, which can all be kind of used as synonyms of each other. So it depends really on the approach that you're taking exactly what what you're talking about. But ultimately, it's thinking about what is the value you create for the team. So, you know, some of the examples that Karen shared were about being social, being passionate about what it is that you do. Flexibility could be one or collaboration and being solution focused, I think, is really, really important. So rather than coming with problems, you're actually thinking about, well, how do I solve this problem and how can I share in advance that I've actually given it some thought? Uh, Trust and respect, again, is something that came up again, and it's something that I mean, I think it's, should it be a given in any organization that you have a a certain level of trust and a certain level of respect that you show other people? Thinking then about what is the purpose of the organization? So why are you doing something? When we think about flexibility and when we're starting to reopen offices, when we're starting to bring people back into offices to work together, what is the reason for doing that? So uh, bringing people into an office might be around building that sense of community, 
uh, having a shared purpose for planning purposes. But other than that, it really should be about you can work from anywhere. And we did speak about the the entire flexible working and whether, you know, it, it needs to be based on outcomes and it, it moving away from this idea of it's a nine to five and you have to be working certain hours. It's more about delivering outcomes and being really clear on what those outcomes should be. And if you're not clear, you need to really get clear on what that is. And one of the ways to get clear might be asking the question, what does success look like? And knowing that when I feel successful, I'm happier. So is that to be demonstrating thought leadership? That might be a little bit further along in the career. It could be something different earlier in your career. We spoke as well about this idea that flexibility can lead to actually working too much. So keeping an eye on things like that as well. We spoke about authenticity and it's, I mean, it's a little bit of a buzzword at the moment, but I think it's it's a buzzword for a reason. It's not It's not something that's going to go away anytime soon. And it's really about what you see is what you get and being able to bring your whole self to work. I think that's really, really important. Um, and it's about meeting people where they are on their journey as well. We touched on psychological safety and I know that's something that has come up a lot on the podcast recently. I think it's a really, really important topic and it's foundational for building trust within the organisation as well. Um, Karen did mention that psychological safety could be as a result of being unhappy with something else, not necessarily work-related. So that's definitely something to bear in mind as well. Up next week, I have my lovely guest, Lindsay Recknell, and we're talking about psychological safety very much from a mental health perspective. So stay tuned for that episode coming out next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. You'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie.